But we thought if we're going to have volunteers looking after an area, maybe five areas would be too much for a volunteer to look after. So we, we had more volunteers involved looking after specific ministry areas. So we'd have a coordinator of kids ministry, a coordinator of welcoming, a coordinator of each of these different areas. So the way we were going to look at scaling up onto Sunday morning was let's have a generalist pastor, Matt, to look after the Sunday morning service, Matt Redman, and let's also have coordinators that were running different ministry areas that worked with Matt but also worked across the church. Welcome back to the Shock Absorber podcast. We are back at Soul Revival Kirawee, and I'm very excited, as always, to be here with my co-host, Stu Crawshaw. How are you today? G'day, Joel. Um, how have you been this week? Is uh, anything exciting you lately? Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited by food lately. Oh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> Which is <laughs> quite you. relevant for this podcast, Joel. <laughs> uh, I've, I've, we've been, uh, re- we've relaunched our Woolaware uh, campus. We have. Uh, and we've had the joy of being able to rent the church hall at St Andrews Cronulla and Cronulla have been very hospitable to us and very gracious to us in renting their hall down at Cronulla mm. and Cronulla has afforded us the opportunity to uh, do some more adventures in cooking and, <laughs> and <laughs> I've you're, thrown you're myself pretty, into you're, it. Yeah, you're an adventurous cook. Oh yes, I've really enjoyed uh, being part of the hospitality team down at Cronulla yep. and we've done a paella, we've yes. done a German... Um, feast, night. a feast. We had bratwurst. We Ooh. had all sorts. I stopped at pork knuckle. I almost got to pork knuckle, but it's a little bit beyond me. <laughs> Maybe next time. And this week we're doing a Lebanese feast. So I'm, I, oh, I went to Costco nice. yesterday. I Did don't you? know if any of our listeners and viewers have ever been to Costco, but it was the first time I've ever been there. So that's what I was excited about. So you loaded up on hummus. I loaded up on hummus. We got tabbouleh. We got koftas. Lebanese bread. I'm Lebanese guessing. bread. Yep. Everything. That's, I love Lemonese food. So it delicious. It was a lot of fun. So that's what I was excited about this week. Excellent. Well, um, I actually will try and get down there because I would actually really like to have some Lebanese food because <laughs> <laughs> that's delicious. Cool. Um, we're, we're heading into 2016 with this episode, episode seven of season two. Um, as always, we like to set the stage about where we're at with Soul Revival and the growth and development of how things were going on. And some of the uh, one of the ways that you really like to do that is through a movie. Yes. And uh, could you? Uh, you've you've got one for us today. Could you please tell us what movie that is? Well, I thought we'd mix it up today a bit, <laughs> and I thought we'd go with a rom com today, which <laughs> okay. which is a bit different for me. I'm yeah. Not, I'm not usually a massive fan of rom coms. Me either. But there is a movie that I really like from 2000 called Chocolate. I think I pronounce any mispronunciation in this episode. I do apologise. <laughs> uh, my French is not terrific. I have Year Seven and Eight French from high school, so. but. Uh, yeah, a, Chocolat yeah, is a fantastic movie mm-hmm. and actually it, it fits in with today because part of what we're going to talk about today is the scaling up of our ministries as we uh, started more services and one of the things we needed to scale up was our hospitality ministry so and, and our life support ministry looking after people so um, yeah this movie um, is basically based in 1959 and the story is that this uh, this uh, young mother with her daughter move into a French town, French provincial town. And the French provincial town is just about to go into Lent and they're a very traditional town. But uh, this uh, young mother called Vivian um, comes in, opens a chocolate shop in Lent. (laughs) And uh, that's quite controversial. So the townspeople (laughs) are like, well, what's going on? She wears really colourful clothing. She's really enigmatic and optimistic and she's really friendly but at the in a town where they're all about self denial, so there's this really interesting contrast between this this townspeople who are quite downcast, and and she comes in with light and freshness, and it's a fun movie. Yeah, cool. But one of the things I like about the movie is she just makes really good deep relationships with people, particularly with the character played by Judy Dench, and I think you pronounce it Armaday. And Judy Dench's character, I don't know if you're a fan of Judy Dench, but I think she's a fantastic actor. And she plays this uh, lady who's got diabetes, but she loves chocolate. So okay. it's a really fun little twist to the movie. Yep. But she's very eccentric as well. And they become a bit of a team and they, the energy they create in the town through, through loving people through chocolate is really lovely. It's just a really fun story. And there's a really beautiful moment in the movie where uh, Vivian uh, develops a friendship with a trouble, w- troubled woman called Josephine. 
And Josephine's in a really problematic relationship where she's experiencing domestic abuse. And yeah, just through bit by bit through selling a chocolate, she she uh, actually builds a relationship with this lady and the lady ends up moving in with her and, and finding refuge in the shop. So uh, I won't spoil the end of the movie to say how it finishes, but it's a terrific twist at the end. And yeah, I really like the movie. So just yeah, just build, building community and relationships around food. And yeah, all that actually. And yeah, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of themes of community in there. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. really cool. Well, um, obviously relatable to how we, we like to do churches and all age, all sage gathering and um, 2016 was an, another kind of leap forward for us. Yep. We talked last episode, uh, which was based around 2015, and when we planted a Friday night gathering, and um, how that was uh, the kind of learnings that we got from that. Yep. But then, going into 2016, can you tell us where we were at at the time, and then where were we heading? Where do, where do we want to go? Yeah, so Soul Revival had uh, moved into our factory, and we'd planted a Friday night gathering. We continued to run our Saturday night gathering. And our Saturday night gathering was continuing to grow under the grace of God. And we had grown to about 160 people. And one of the ladies in that gathering, uh, Lisa Fox, mm -hmm. she was a chaplain in the local primary school at Guyami North Primary School. And um, actually, Lisa reminds me a lot of Vivian. She's very <laughs> um, creative and lovely and builds relationships with people through food. Yep. If you ever go around to Lisa's house, she's always got treats on the table and <laughs> okay. this abundance of cheeses and <laughs> and chocolate and she's just she's terrific. Yep. Anyway, Lisa was um, talking to me about, oh, we should start a Sunday morning as well because there'd be a really good opportunity to reach out to more people from Sutherland North and um, she was making lots of great relationships as a chaplain in the school. And so, yeah, I suppose the next part of the story of Soul Revival was how we scaled up our ministries to go from two services to three. And as we went through that journey, we had to actually think through some of our structures so that we didn't overcomplicate things, but we actually were helping more and more people get involved uh, so that we could do it together as a family. Was there, um, I suppose we would have learned quite a few things from what we did on Friday night. How did that translate into, first of all, the decision to actually start another gathering on a Sunday morning mm. and then um, what did we actually have to change in order to make it for like appropriate for Sunday morning? Yeah, well, as we said last podcast, we worked out that we hadn't done a, a plan, any planning really other than talking a lot about what we should do, but we didn't actually plan how we were going to structure it. And as a result, it was a little bit haphazard as we started. And so we thought, let's not do that with the Sunday morning. Now that Lisa's excited about that, how do we scale up what we're doing on Saturday and, and Friday. And we looked around at different models of how people scale up church and there's lots of great stuff out there, books written about it. Uh, basically, um, in my mind, there's two kind of directions a church can go in. Either the church has a generalist pastor that does pretty much everything for a particular gathering and then as the church scales up its ministry, it continues to put on more generalist pastors and, and that, that's one way of doing it. Uh, another way of doing it is um, in the city of Sydney at the moment, there's a lot of people experimenting with a model called the 5Ms. And the 5Ms is about um, rather having a uh, – uh, yeah, I hope I do justice to, to this in a short amount of time. It's, it's quite a sophisticated idea and lots of people are using it quite effectively. But as I understand the 5Ms, uh, instead of having a generalist pastor, you actually take your pastoral team and you divide the pastoral team up into five different ministry areas – and so, for example, uh, some, uh, some people start a, a pastor who's looking after uh, what they call magnification, which is like their singing and, and, and the, what we call our arts team, actually, at Sorrel Bible, which is like music and stuff for the church. But instead of each different church service having to try and pull together some volunteers for, for music, the 5Ms model does is have one pastor who's paid to then look after music teams across the whole church. I think if I understand that correctly. So rather than that pastor being in charge of a gathering, the pastor's actually in charge of music or magnification across the whole church. Um, there's a maturity pastor and there's a mission pastor, etc. So that's that's one way that churches scale up their ministries. Um and quite effectively from what I can see from some quite large churches. Uh, the way we wanted to go at Soul Revival was we didn't want to do either or of those options. We didn't want to just have a generalist pastor and we didn't want to just have the 5Ms model. We went somewhere in the middle in our scale, scaling up of our ministry. And so what we were looking at is having 
pastors who were generalists who were looking after a service. So uh, at the time when we, we were scaling up, Matt and I were the two full-time pastors and um, um, we were looking after Saturday night and I was looking after Friday and what we thought was that Matt could look after Sunday morning and I'd, I'd look after Saturday and Friday. And so we would be a pastor for that gathering. So that's a generalist role. Having said that, we really love that in Ephesians 4, Paul talks about the fact that pastors are there to raise people up in ministry. And so rather than the pastor being in charge of a ministry area, we thought wouldn't it be terrific if the generalist pastor was also working alongside of volunteers in the church who were looking after specific ministry areas. So we have already talked in previous podcasts about how we had a welcome team, we had a world team, we've got, we've got a youth team and a kids team. Today we're going to talk about our hospitality and our life support team and next week we're going to talk about our arts and our communications team. So that's actually more than just five areas, that's ten areas of ministry. But we thought if we're going to have volunteers looking after an area, maybe five areas would be too much for a volunteer to look after. So we, we had more volunteers involved looking after specific ministry areas. So we'd have a coordinator of kids' ministry, a coordinator of welcoming, a coordinator of each of these different areas. So the way we were going to look at scaling up onto Sunday morning was let's have a generalist pastor, Matt, to look after the Sunday morning service, Matt Redman, and let's also have coordinators that were running different ministry areas that worked with Matt but also worked across the church. So in the 5M models, uh, a pastor looks after, say, the, the singing across a whole church or the mission across a whole church, uh, what we were now trying to scale up towards is having volunteers looking after those areas. Right. And um, was that decision made prior to starting the third gathering on Sunday morning or was the, the, the decision to actually start that third gathering the thing that kind of um, helped us uh, come up with that idea or that model? Yeah, that's a really good question. So uh, there were two, there's two answers to that. The first answer is that back in the 1990s and early 2000s in our youth ministry, we'd already experimented with a thing we call project teams and project teams would be responsible for things like the camp or you know the youth camp, annual youth camp. We'd have a project team for that. We had a magazine that we called SIG Magazine yep. and there was a team that looked after that. So we experimented with that a bit already. And so... There were pros and cons to that model back in the youth ministry days, but we still liked that idea. The other thing, the other answer to it was that we went to a Geneva Push conference uh, around this time, and at the Geneva Push conference, we were learning about how uh, American churches were building hub and spoke models for their churches. And what we found fascinating about that model is that this American model of hub and spoke was that you had a church that was the hub and then that was supporting other smaller gatherings which were considered to be the spoke, like like a wheel, I suppose, the hub of a wheel and then the spokes that come out from that. And so with this hub and spoke model, we thought, and with our previous experience with project teams, we thought, why don't we combine that experience together and make Saturday night a hub for our church and then Friday night and Sunday morning could be spoke churches that the Saturday night could support. And the way the hub and spoke model uh, works is uh, the Americans have worked out that it's a, a good idea to have pastors but also coordinators of ministry. And you can actually set up a system where at the hub there are central coordinators that, that oversee an area of ministry and that each spoke church that you put in place has a gathering coordinator. So if I'm not getting too technical there, it sounds a little bit complicated but actually works really, really well because it allows for scaling up without burning people out. So if you've got one coordinator of hospitality or feeding people, uh, for example, Bev's our hospitality coordinator and she organises all the meals on Saturday night. And on Saturday night, by the time we get to 2016, we've probably got something like 13 teams that are cooking meals on a Saturday night and we're feeding 160 plus people on a Saturday night but each team only has to do one week in 13 so it's not a major big deal and each team looks forward to doing a meal and they all 
pick something that they want to cook and so that means there's a great diversity on saturday night meals which is fantastic home cooked meals it's like chocolate there's like <laughs> people who who are loving us through giving us a feed which is really cool and what what we had with with so that bev didn't burn out by organizing catering on sunday morning and friday she appointed a gathering coordinator on Friday and a gathering coordinator in Lisa Fox on Sunday morning. So Lisa started the Sunday morning as a gathering coordinator of hospitality, but she worked with Bev in in the team so that the team was actually working across the church and in their gathering at the same time. All right. So if, if I can just clarify, so we have a general, a general pastor across, do they go across a number of services or do the, the gathering has its particular pastor? Then a central coordinator who handles the that particular team across all gatherings, and then each gathering has their own coordinator as well. That's right. So, so yeah. In summary, each gathering has its own pastor. Yep. So that's called a generalist pastor who's looking after the people in their gathering. So on Saturday night, I was the gathering coordinator for Saturday night. Uh, sorry, <laughs> the gathering pastor on Saturday night. Yep. Right. Yep. And then Sunday morning, when we planted a new church. We put the pastor in charge of that was Matt Redmond, yes. and he was the pastor of that. Friday night, I was still going on Friday night, but Dan Gale was our gathering coordin- uh, pastor. <laughs> we get, <laughs> we get confused with those yeah, words yeah. sometimes. So pastor, we've got but. Dan Gale, pastor on Friday night. Yep. Stu Crawshaw, pastor on Saturday night. Matt Redmond, pastor on Sunday morning. Yep. Then we have Saturday night is a hub for all our ministries, and the coordinators on Saturday night coordinate Saturday night, but also look after helping raise up gathering coordinators for the other two services. Yep. So Sunday morning has its own gathering coordinators for welcoming, for hospitality, for world, etc. Mm-hmm. And that means we've built a team of coordinators who are volunteers and that means we can scale up our ministry across the whole church. So instead of just, for example, having children's ministry in one service, the gathering coordinators of each service could actually have run children's ministry as a standalone but they're all connected through the central coordinator that makes sense no it makes a lot of sense um i i can see why it uh, helps us to be able to scale up um when we need to the i suppose the question was did that we came up with that as we wanted to expand to three services but i was just wondering as it's similar to when we planted friday night yep did, was there some contention about expanding to another service prior to actually doing it? Well, I think the difference between Sunday and the Friday one is uh, Friday was working and people were like, yeah, we can do this. I think the only hesitation was would that structure of central coordinators and gathering coordinators work? Everyone got the idea of a pastor being yes. uh, overseeing a gathering. Everyone was used to that and liked that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we, we actually just needed to flesh out how we could have someone like Bev, who was looking after hospitality on Saturday night, working with someone like Lisa on Sunday morning. What did that look like? And the way that we brought it together was in what we call our Sorrel Bible Council. Mm. So we brought together all our coordinators, all our pastors and our elected representatives in a council once a term uh, that came together to work on the ministry of the church together. And that's how we did it. For some people to see the council as an expanded um, parish council meeting, is that how some people would interpret that? Yeah, well in the Anglican Church we have a parish council that is elected representatives. We call the uh, people who are responsible for our finances, our facility and our safety the wardens yep. in the Anglican Church. And those wardens are responsible for the budget of the church. And we we have a system where they can have some assistance called parish councillors and in our church, we have three wardens, three parish councillors, and they're responsible for the budget. Then, on top of that, we thought, wouldn't it be great if that parish council could meet with all the ministry coordinators of the church and the staff? And so the Sorrel Bible Council brings together staff, elected representatives, and the ministry heads. And because we're using that American model of hub and spoke, we were able to bring the central coordinators together to start off with in 2017, and the central coordinators, 10 of them, for our 10 service team areas, meant that they were overseeing all the ministries of the church and could give the parish council really good feedback on 
what the ministry was doing. And also maybe be a bit more responsive to, oh, we've just had a light fall down, but that's all right. Um, a response to any kind of the needs that are within the church, is that a lot faster and a lot quicker? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For example, if the children's ministry needed something and they said we need a, a spend on or some resources for this, uh, that might mean that another ministry area might say, oh, okay, well, we were after X, but you need Y. So we can see in this meeting that that's really important and we're happy to delay X for the sake of Y. Mm. So it meant that we were able to collaborate and be flexible and move quickly. So even though it sounds like a big ministry meeting, having 20 people in a ministry team meeting was actually really effective because it meant that we could mm. answer questions really quickly. And that team's gone to expand to a lot as we've grown and scaled up. I think, that, is there 70 people yeah, around well, in that yeah, meeting now? there is. Yeah. So so once a term, we actually get the all the coordinators of the church together. And if, if, you can vis- if our listeners and our viewers can visualise it, we've got um, a growing team of pastors that as we start new gatherings, we put on new pastors. And then we also have 10 gathering, uh, oh, sorry, we have, <laughs> we, have, we have pastors for each gathering. Mm. Then we have 10 service team coordinators who are central coordinators and they're running six different gatherings of service teams. So let's, let's narrow that down. So in hospitality, which is the team that's responsible for feeding everyone at Sorrel Bible, Bev Crawshaw is the central coordinator yes. and then... We've expanded today to have six gatherings, so and we're on three campuses now. Yes. So Bev actually has a team of six people who report to her, and she doesn't run the food for across the whole six of those gatherings. She just does Saturday night, and then she works with the gathering coordinators in those other five gatherings. So that means she doesn't burn out, and that means that those the meeting for Bev and her six coordinators happens once a term where they those people in hospitality who coordinate hospitality together come for a planning and review meeting at the beginning of each term. Now, our hospitality team at the moment feeds 450 people a week mm. and that would be beyond Bev to organise that by herself. herself yeah. But having this American model of hub and spoke, we're able to have an expandable system. So we can still have a generalist pastor who's looking after a gathering, but we also have volunteers who are helping to organize the, the hospitality and and the great thing about that is that uh, say our Sunday morning pastor Matt would maybe sit with Lisa and say how are we going to do hospitality for Sunday morning and as we'll get to in a minute uh, hos- hospitality on Sunday morning was not after the gathering but before it because yes. we decided to have a breakfast before church which would be fun to unpack a bit uh, but on top of jo- uh, Matt and and Lisa talking about that for hospitality. Lisa could talk to Bev about that too and talk about the logistics of how the hospitality team could support that happening. Mm. So we're able to to harness the strength of a, a big network of people. And so the outcome is once a term, we have 70 coordinators come together, which is pretty much the 10 service teams with all the gathering coordinators and their central coordinator, elected representatives and the pastors staff and we all come together once a term yeah again uh, i suppose it could sound a little bit complicated but i think uh, obviously i've been part of it for a long time but it, it actually really works really well because I, I i see it it's a really way to be responsive and adaptable and that's what we're trying to do with the shock absorber principles is to be adaptable to how we can actually grow the kingdom mm, that's right now you and i both love football yes and both of us play football in the Sutherland Shire or have played football. For me, it's in my past, but I'm still <laughs> a father of a, a football player. Yes. And in a way, it's sort of like how a football club runs. So a football club will elect a group of people to organise the overall club, mm. but then a, a club like Gaimi United will have lots and lots and lots of age groups. Yep. And those age groups all have lots and lots and lots of teams. And the way they run it is they get a volunteer uh, to run a team as a coach for each of those teams and then every now and again they get all those coaches together so there'll be hundreds of coaches in a football club Mm. but week to week the executive team that runs the club don't have to do everything because you know the the different soccer teams will all be rostered on to ground control and they'll set up the nets and the lines and stuff and so it's a very similar model to that Mm. yeah i think i think you're probably right about that not as cold in an early morning, though. That's true. Um, and we don't get rained off either. When <laughs> <it rains. laughs> that's right. We can stay inside, and that's good. Um, let's focus on Sunday morning a little bit more, more again. 
You mentioned that we obviously, with the hospitality team, we had to kind of change when we were doing the meal in yep. terms of the order. That's a, a practice that we likely changed. In our um, principles of theology, strategy and practice, mm-hmm. we usually keep theology the same, which we like to summarise that Jesus changes everything. Our strategy then is we aim to be all age, all stage. Yep. But a practice is something that we think we can change um, quite regularly if we stick to we, when we like to stick to the other two. Can you go through the kind of things in terms of the planning stages of Sunday morning? What were the practices that, first of all, that we'd learnt from, but also what we wanted to change for Sunday morning? Yeah. So Lisa, Matt and I announced to the church that we were thinking about planning a third service. And then we asked people who were interested in helping to come to a, uh, a workshop, to workshop up that, and we call it a greenhouse. So the analogy we had was, uh, just when you plant a new plant, uh, you put it in a little pot and you put it in a greenhouse before its roots grow and it gets strong. And then when it's strong enough, you plant it into the garden. So we call it a greenhouse workshop. And the workshop was to get uh, the 25 or so people who came together who said they were interested to help to think through how do we have continuity in what we do across the church but also make a really beautiful expression on a Sunday morning that the people on Sunday morning can really develop and grow in their context. And you're right, we said, let's continue to have the same theology across the church. Uh, when I grew up at Guy Wranglick, and we didn't always articulate what our theology was, and so I've always felt super convicted to, in our church at Soul Revival to make sure we say, look, we're a Reformed Evangelical church, we're an Anglican church that is um, got the same theology of, of all the other Anglican churches around pretty much. And yeah, like you said, the, the, because the cross is the centre of our ministry, and Jesus' work on the cross is the centre. We believe that Jesus changed everything when he died on the cross and rose from the dead, and that's what we're going to proclaim and preach in each of our services so that our message is the same across all our gatherings, and that's our theology. And that's the why we do what we do. Uh, the strategy is how we put that into practice, and you, you were right. Our, we wanted to make all our new gatherings all age, all stage, and even though we're starting a new gathering on Sunday morning, we wanted that to be an all-age, all-stage gathering where anyone could go. We weren't going to target a, a particular group of people. And to help express that, we've got this great saying, which is we share the truth and love of Jesus person to person, generation to generation, culture to culture, and place to place. And we think that's a really nice, expansive way to talk about what 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 8 says when Paul says that he proclaimed the gospel and he also shared his life. So we, we share the truth and love of Jesus. We, we preach the gospel, the cross of Christ is the center of that message, and we share our lives. So that's the how. Then when it comes to practice, we thought if we keep our theology and our strategy consistent across all our gatherings, that'll give a consistency to our church. But then the practice of how that worked on Saturday and Friday looked different because we, we did a dinner before the gathering on Friday. On Saturday, we did a dinner after the gathering. So the practice can be flexible depending on the day. Well, on Sunday, the practice needed to be flexible on Sunday because as we brainstormed it, we thought, if we're going to do a 9.30 service on a Sunday morning, why don't we do an 8.30 breakfast? So Saturday night, we'd do the dinner after the gathering, but on Sunday morning, we wanted to do the breakfast before the gathering. So having a flexible practice meant that we could adjust that. However, even though we've got different practices on Saturday and Sunday, we wanted to make sure that we still had a discipleship goal and a mission goal so that in every practice we do, we're still discipling people who are Christians and helping them to be disciple-making disciples who reach out in mission to other people. Yeah, I mean, I think that... um, uh, I mean, I continue to hear reports when we started Sunday morning that the breakfast was amazing, um, probably down to obviously that hospitality um, vibe that Lisa always likes to to um, put in place. Yeah. I don't know if there was much cheese or chocolate, but in there the, wasn't in the any breakfast. cheese and chocolate that I can remember at the beginning. But <laughs> as it developed, and Lisa got the the breakfast going, which was amazing. Just quickly on the breakfast, yeah. We uh, oh, sorry, I'll finish that thought. She got the breakfast going, but then afterwards, so many people would hang around after church that Lisa started doing a uh, a morning tea afterwards as well. And sometimes yeah. people are not leaving until 12 30 because people just hang around it's great so yeah there's a bit of chocolate and cheese in the morning tea sometimes oh right well then that good work she yeah, fit, fit yeah, it in there that's anyway that's right <laughs> but do you want to talk some more about the the breakfast yeah well, i was works? just oh i'm um i just have always heard that it's always great and everyone really yeah. gets into it and like i think it's nice for people to 
um, wake up and the first thing they do is gather around breakfast and hang out. Like it is really popular. And the funny thing was that I, at the beginning of our workshops on it, Lisa and I had a really different vision for the breakfast. Okay. And I had this idea in my head that it would be more like a cafe where people would come and have coffee and then people would serve meals. And Lisa liked the idea of people coming up to a big counter and having like a big bistro meal. And I'm so glad that Lisa's idea won out and <laughs> that she, she pushed that because it is fantastic. They have, yeah, they have just a range of different things every week. They have bacon and eggs. They have cereal. We have congee every week, uh, which is a, a Chinese breakfast. We have... Um, yeah, fruits and all sorts of things. And the way Lisa's been able to pull that off is really interesting because as I already said, that the practice of the hospitality team on Saturday night is to have 13 teams take it in turns to cook dinner. But Lisa's done a different model on Sunday morning okay. in that she pretty much runs each week and then she has gathered together a whole lot of people to help. And it's fantastic because you rock up to church in the morning and you'll see a couple of people on the barbie outside cooking bacon and then you come in and there's laughter and fun and activity as there's this big group of probably 10 or 15 people a week helping to cook the breakfast. And it's a different group of people every week. So again, it doesn't burn people out. It's scalable and it's manageable and um, it's delightful. So on a Sunday morning, we'd feed anywhere between 80 and 120 people mm. on a Sunday morning gathering and, and it works. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's part of our service team focus, isn't it? So in the last few episodes, we've talked about... Um, Hospital, oh, sorry, no, welcoming, world, uh, kids and youth. So the two that we thought we could focus on, hospitality and life support um, for this episode, um, we're talking so much about hospitality and how important it is across all of our gatherings. Um, but do you want to expand a little bit on how, um, what we learned from our Indigenous brothers and sisters that we had been spending a lot of time with over the many years? How did that play into our um, decisions around the hospitality service team? Yeah, that's really helpful. So when I grew up at Guy Anglican Church, church had was great, but it pretty much become an hour a week with a cup of coffee after church, and then everyone would go home. But when we first met Isaac and Eileen Gordon in 2000, and we went out to Brewarrina and had church in uh, uh, an Aboriginal church in Brewarrina, we noticed that not only did their service go a lot longer, sometimes two <laughs> hours or more, uh, but and it was very participatory. People would get up and share testimonies and stuff, which was terrific. But the other thing that really stuck in my mind was early on, uh, they, I, I, I saw how they just had meals after church every week. Now, at Soul Revival on Saturday nights during the 90s, we used to have a meal with each other, yep. but I had never seen it in a church service and a gathering. And Eileen Gordon would always put on a feed after church and we'd all hang around and talk afterwards. So we talked a lot about that when we first launched the church back in 2011, uh, 12, um, back in the early days. We talked about, wouldn't it be great if we had, had hospitality at every one of our gatherings? And we also made the point that not only was that a good thing that was sustainable, but it was actually really nice to be able to actually not only just look at America and England for ministry models, like we did look to America for that network hub-and-spoke model, uh, but we, which we've already talked about, but to actually take on some practices from Indigenous Christians in Australia was actually really delightful. So that we as city Christians changed in our approach because of our country brothers and sisters who were ministering in Aboriginal church. We actually learnt a model and a practice from them. But not only was it from their practice that we learned but we also thought that is a really biblical thing to offer hospitality and and you know we had some um a really good look at the bible and came up with some really good uh theological foundations for hospitality from the word of god as well yeah was, uh, one of the ones that um we prepared earlier was um that story of um martha and mary which is in luke 30 uh, chapter 10 verses 38 to 42. I might read that out if, yeah, you're, sure. if you're happy with that. Um, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. How did that? 
It's 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 such a funny thing. It's like, look, come and this person, this my sister needs to come and help me. But then Jesus is, what's Jesus telling you there? Yeah, I I think we often rightly take a message out of that teaching of Jesus that Mary made the right decision when Jesus had come to their home to teach. Mary had dropped everything to sit and listen to Jesus's teaching, and Martha had busied herself with the preparation for the food for everyone, mm-hmm. and she got got the balance wrong she she was so busy trying to get the food ready and trying to get mary to come and help with the food and she expected when she talked to jesus that jesus would turn around and say yeah yeah you're right mary can you go and help with the food so that martha's not doing it all herself but unusually for martha jesus turns it around and says well actually martha mary's made the right choice come and come and sit here and listen i'm not going to be around with you here like this uh in in the flesh uh, forever so come and sit and listen and let's spend time in fellowship and, and listen to the teaching so that's a really important takeaway from that but i really love the background to that that what's obviously happening is everywhere jesus goes and teaches there is there is life there is food there are people who are gathering and eating together and i think the the appropriate balance is to sit and listen to jesus's teaching and to share our lives as paul says in 1 thessalonians 2 8 to listen to the teaching and to share life and food is a really interesting part of Jesus's ministry all along. I love it that when Jesus um, rises from the dead, and the disciples are out in the boat and they're fishing, and they look to the shoreline and they see Jesus on the shoreline and they see him cooking fish, and they come in and they go and they have a meal with Jesus. And there's just food all the way through the New Testament. And uh, to to give you some other examples of that, uh, in Titus one eight we read, rather he must be talking about a leader must be hospitable one who loves what is good who's self-controlled upright and holy and disciplined so being hospitable is part of the role of a leader 1 peter chapter 4 verse 8 to 9 above all love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins offer hospitality to one another without grumbling Um, that's a really poignant reminder that sometimes in church when we do do hospitality things we focus on on the things that can go wrong and oh is everyone helping and we can be a bit like martha and grumble about it but the idea is to listen to the teaching and to offer hospitality is both a really good thing uh, acts sixteen thirty three to 34 at that hour of the night the jailer took them and washed their wounds then they immediately then immediately he and all his household were baptized the jailer brought them into the house and set a meal before them he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in god he and his whole household. So the jailer in Acts 16 responds in faith to his new faith by cooking a meal and showing hospitality. That's that's really interesting. And so, yeah, there's different examples through the New Testament of how food is an important ministry in the church. Uh, and that's I a think, strong I think strategy. that's really, really helpful. And that's a strong, like this part of the strategy that we're trying to um, hold to is mm. we're um, sharing the love of Jesus to everyone and that's one of the ways we do it is what is over a meal and there isn't many better ways to have a chat and just enjoy each other's company than over a meal so and and joel my theory is that because we live in a time poor society the tendency in churches in sydney particularly is to to make the commitment less and less so that it doesn't put an onerous burden on the members of the congregation Uh, as we've said in earlier podcasts back in the 50s and 60s anglican churches would meet twice a a Sunday uh, for the morning service and the evening service and then often have lunch with each other during the day on Sunday but there wasn't much to do on it well there was nothing else to do on a Sunday back in the day but now people have part-time jobs on the weekend they work all weekend there's sport there's all sorts of things that clutter the weekend now and I think our response is to make that hour of church as tight and as strong as we can but people are often already talking about what they're heading off to while they're having a coffee with each other at church having a quick coffee, oh yeah, and what are you doing next? And that's the conversation sometimes. But what we thought is let's slow it down and let people opt in to be there for the hospitality part, not make it mandatory. So we still run the service for an hour and if people don't want to come for breakfast in the Sunday morning, they don't have to, but they can come for the service. But for those who want to come early, you know, lots of people go out for a coffee on a Sunday morning in Sydney, come for a coffee, have breakfast and stay for church. And that that is a really nice way not only to look after and disciple the people of god but also reach out to other people as well and to also look after people who are in need in isaiah 58 7 the old testament's got this this theme too uh old testament in uh 58 verse 7 
Isaiah, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked clothe them and do not turn away your own flesh and blood? And so this idea of offering hospitality is not just about feeding people because it's a utilitarian, practical thing to do. It's a way of loving people and it's also a way of caring for people. And so rather than uh, uh, just thinking about looking after ourselves, we've got a space in the, in the, with the hospitality team that we're also doing pastoral care for people amongst us that are doing it hard and also a place for people who can come in and actually be looked after as well. So yeah, I really think churches should think about how good it is to do food. And even if they don't use the same model as us with the hub and spoke model, think of some way of scaling up your ministry so you can think of doing something with food that is scalable, that you can... I mean, we started with 30 people, feeding 30 people, and now we feed 450 people over a weekend. It is possible without burning people out, and it becomes a really awesome part of the mm. ministry. And we always like to talk about first steps. So if let's say someone's listening to this or watching us, hello, on YouTube, guys. Um, the first steps in terms of like they like what you're saying there about how do we how do we feed more people and, and look after more people? Let's say there's one person who wants to do that at a particular church or a leader at a church. What would do you think again their their first steps would be? Well, another thing you like to say is get in touch with us if you want to get more yeah, information. But just right. the brief answer is if you've got a group of people who are passionate about hospitality and see that it's it's a really good thing for us as Christians to be doing that as a ministry, not just as a practical thing, uh, to get a group of people who have the perspective of Mary, that we want to sit at the feet of Jesus and we don't want to get too caught up with uh, getting grumbly and complaining about putting food on the table. And hence getting burnt out, probably. And getting burnt out. Yeah, maybe Martha was a bit burnt out. Mm. Uh, but, but to get a group of people and then, as we always say, have a conversation about it first. Like, what can we do to start off with? Some people say start at once a fortnight or once a month. I don't think that's a good idea because I think if people miss a week or two here, it can be a month or so before they actually experience the food. The other thing is be careful not to just put on a sausage on a roll. It's it's actually got to be something that is really a, a loving thing and and like a really nice home-cooked meal. If you ask someone over to dinner to your house, you wouldn't just throw a sausage and <laughs> tomato sauce and a piece of bread on the table and yep. go, I'll go for it. Yep. So it does need to be a warm experience and, a, and a, a, a family experience. But I would suggest that the starting point would be uh, to get at least four people, if that person's excited, to get four people and for those four people to build four teams of friends right. that could run four dinners. Once you get to that point, it's just once a month you're on and mm -hmm. then it's not too onerous. That's a good starting point. Yeah, that does sound like a good starting point. Uh, heavily linked to uh, hospitality, which we like to say cooking meals and looking after people in that way, is also our pastoral care. But we, all, we like to term that service team that's mainly responsible for that as a life support. Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Because I think that uh, you've said before that Possibly sometimes partial care can just be reactive, but we want to be proactive. Yeah, we want to build a culture of caring in our church. And the verses we just read were, particularly the Isaiah verse, we're yeah. talking about insi insiders in the church, members of the church, but also people who don't belong to the church as well, thinking about caring for them as well. Uh, there's, there's a lot of needs in the community around us, and we can be a group of people who are loving people who are part of our church with needs, but also reaching out to other people who have needs as well. Uh, the good segue between hospitality and life support is it's amazing that when we do food on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning or a Friday night, we often cook more than we need and then we bundle that up in little takeaway containers. And there's a number of people who really appreciate taking away some food and putting it in the freezer and having another meal later on. And it actually gives people who have some financial needs at the time, for example, uh, dignity as they uh, can take that food alongside we just say hey it'll help us out heaps if you could take some food <laughs> yep. you know we've got some leftovers yeah uh, so it gives people a lot of dignity to actually so rather than setting up a caravan out on the street and you know giving people food parcels which is fine it's a really good thing to do too what we're doing is inviting people to come and be a part of our community and have a meal with us and then take some home with them as well so that that caring aspect to it uh, is multiplied through our life support team uh, often the pastoral care teams that I've been a part of in churches, a small group of people can sometimes 
be run ragged looking after helping practical needs of people in the congregation like someone has a baby getting a meal roster going if someone's in hospital getting some visits and some flowers to to actually be you know running a bread ministry some churches do to uh, distribute food to people uh, who could really appreciate a meal uh, our life support team works with our hospitality team and the way we've structured it is we call it life support that's the name of the team and again we have a hub and spoke model so that we have a central coordinator of life support that works closely with the pastors in the church and if there is someone in hospital who needs a visit the central coordinator will find out what gathering that person's in and work with the gathering coordinator in that gathering to support that person now another link we've made is that the life support team are working with our community groups so most of our pastoral care works through our community groups which we'll get to in a later episode but the community group ministry is uh, really effective and quite a lot of people in our church are in community groups and often community groups will gather around the bible to have a bible study once a week but then they'll also look after each other if they're in needs. But if a community group can't look after the needs of a particular person, that's when the life support coordinator can let the pastors know and the life support team in a gathering can be activated as well. On top of the people who, aren't in, uh, who are in community groups, the life support team is also practically looking after the people who haven't got into a community group yet and just being friends and making sure they're being connected as best as possible and looking after their needs. But in doing that, what then happens is we're creating a culture of care across the church rather than just have one group of people who are looking after people. We're when someone needs something, we just react to it. We're either like, we're keeping an eye out and for that, like maybe yeah. prior to yeah. actually getting to a, a, yep. a crisis stage. Yeah, that's right. And so if there are people in our who are coming to our meals and our gatherings who are, are, are work, working through issues in their life at the time or... Um, we've had people who've um, been, uh, you know, really needing a community to support them. They're getting support from other areas too, but particularly when people are going through uh, some times of difficult mental health challenges, mm. having them within the community and having people around and being part of a family is really lovely. But then there's also particular, particularly people um, working with people who need that. Is that um, is that also working in a sense like we? As we've said before, we're more we want a more intergenerational approach in yep. contrast to the homogeneous unit principle. Yep. Is that also a reason why we want to create that culture of care? Is that mm. if if we were perhaps approaching it with a homogeneous unit principle um, approach, uh, would we be segmenting people and only using only having allocating care to a certain amount of people? Yeah, again in pastoral care contexts that, context that I've been in in the past, uh, there might be a pastoral care ministry might develop a specific ministry to singles and have a singles ministry or there might be specific ministries to people who are going through um, challenges in their marriages and, and experiencing divorce and things like that. And those things are good. Like I do think that's good. But often in the church, I think we've, we, we create a new ministry for all these different kinds of needs in our community uh, where at Soul Revival we do have some particular ministries. Sometimes we have a men's night where all the men go out together and have a feed to get to know each other across all the gatherings and the women do the same thing. But what we also have with these hospitality moments with, with the food is that everyone's in together and a whole heap of ministry goes on amongst the people of God in those times. Now, in the New Testament, we're encouraged to bear one another's burdens and we're encouraged to build one another up. So the idea, I think, is that God's people minister to each other. And because of our hub-and-spoke model with our service teams and our coordinators, we actually have 75% to 80% of the people at Soul Revival are in a ministry. And those that aren't are often invited in by Lisa on Sunday morning into the kitchen to swing on a tea tail afterwards. And so there's a real sense of community and family that happens when everybody's involved. And so it almost like in an all-age, all-stage church, it gives permission to people to be single or married, to have kids or not have kids. You don't have to move gatherings when you have kids or, or you, know, don't you, you know, sometimes people who are, who are single and they're in their 40s, they might not sometimes feel like they fit into the category of a family service uh, that seems to be built. So an all-age, all-stage service on a Sunday morning has this freedom and flexibility for people to be whoever they are all age all stage whatever stage of life or age you are you're welcome 
and the care that goes on in that. People do have particular needs depending on where they are in their life, but it's amazing how much a village can actually be a place where many of those needs are met, not all. And so the ancillary things that the gathering doesn't actually help in, in working with can be met with other certain projects that the life support team can put in place at times. Yeah, cool. And, and we've we've used the Sunday morning um, gathering, uh, the third gathering we planned as a way to kind of express that. But I thought it might be also just in a way to kind of round up this episode is can we just go bang, bang, bang through um, actual Sunday morning and how we actually yep. run that service? So uh, breakfast, what time are we doing breakfast from, just so people are aware? So the breakfast starts at 8.30. Yep. Uh, people come in for a coffee, they help themselves to some breakfast, they sit around and they talk, and then at 9.30 the service starts, and the service on 9.30 looks very much the same as most Anglican services uh, around, Mm. uh, and it's similar to the Saturday night service as well. And then after the service finishes, we then have morning tea, and those who would like to stay for morning tea do. Uh, Once a month we have communion together and when we have communion we ask all the kids to come into the service for communion with us and it's up to the family if the kids participate or not but they sit in with us through that and then after the service then after morning tea people go home now once a term we have a prayer and evangelism team that meets on sunday morning after the service and they meet for half an hour at 12 o'clock for a time of prayer so that's pretty much a Sunday morning. That's it, uh, Sunday morning, guys. So uh, in the last few episodes, you've had a, a layout of how we've done three different gatherings on three different days, um, slightly different practices, but always sticking to the same theology and strategy. Um, guys, if you have any questions about any of the gatherings or how we did it or how we do hospitality, how we do life support, please send in your questions. I'm really excited to get some questions, so please please send them in. Um, you can email them to joel at shockabsorber.com.au for now that'll wrap up this episode but as always we'd like to finish with a one way thank you very much one way one way way.